Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 2nd edition of the Work Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Offices. Thank you for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal concluded that there was no WCAB jurisdiction over an NFL player's injuries. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Triplett versus the WCAB. Larry Triplett was a professional football player who played defensive tackle for the Indianapolis Colts, the Buffalo Bills, and briefly for the Seattle Seahawks in 2008. In his six-year career, Triplett played approximately 110 games, but only two games in California. Triplett filed a claim for workers' compensation benefits in 2009, alleging injury to multiple body parts throughout the course of his National Football League career. Both Buffalo and Seattle disputed California jurisdiction, so trial proceeded on the jurisdictional issue first. The matter proceeded to a further trial against the elected team, the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts. Triplett acknowledged he did not remember where he signed the agreement with the team. He also testified that although he put a lot of trust in his agent to negotiate his employment agreements, it was Triplett himself who had the final say. The work comp judge found that the WCAB had jurisdiction over the claim, but the WCAB granted the petition for reconsideration and reversed on the jurisdictional issue. And the Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the unpublished case of Triplett versus the WCAB. In the appellate case, Triplett relied on Labor Code Section 3600.5a, which specifies that if an employee who has been hired or is regularly employed in the state receives personal injury, he shall be entitled to compensation according to the law of this state. And Labor Code 5305, which specifies the WCAB has jurisdiction over all controversies arising out of the injuries, injuries suffered outside the territorial limits of the state in those cases where the contract of hire was made inside the state. But when courts have grappled with these issues of determining the location at which an injured employee was hired for purposes of workers' compensation law, they look to ordinary contract law. Here, Triplett's agents negotiated the terms to be included in a written employment contract, but it was not sufficient to bind Triplett to anything. And because those negotiations were the only contract-related activity that took place in California, there was no basis to conclude the contract was formed in this state. And now our crime report. A new study claims that illicit opioid sales are skyrocketing on the dark net. The problem started in October 2014 when hydrocodone combination products were reclassified by the DEA from Schedule 3 to Schedule 2. This imposed stricter controls on prescriptions written by doctors. And according to the study published this month in the British Medical Journal, almost immediately the proportion of all drugs illicitly purchased in the U.S. from sellers on the dark market began rising. Stronger, more dangerous opioids were gained, also gained in popularity in these so-called crypto markets, including fentanyl which went from least common to the second most commonly purchased opioid. 
The researchers used special software to analyze drug sales in 31 of the world's largest crypto markets operating between 2013 and 2016. They focused on six product types, prescription opioids, prescription sedatives, prescription steroids, prescription stimulants, and other prescription drugs and illicit opioids such as heroin. Their model projected that opioids would have represented 6.7% of all drugs purchased in the U.S. from crypto markets without the schedule change. Instead, opioid market share was more than twice that by 2016. Indeed, the study team also found that illegal sales of the more potent opioids, oxycodone and fentanyl, increased by the greatest amounts. The study adds to a mounting body of evidence that multiple efforts to restrict access to prescription opioids coincided with efforts by many opioid users to access these drugs on the black market. The emergence of crypto markets during this time functioned as a disruptive innovation in how people can obtain drugs outside of legitimate channels. 48-year-old James Abner Smith, a Monterey resident, pled guilty to violation of the labor code for his failure to obtain workers' compensation insurance for his employees, and he also admitted to one prior conviction. Smith is a California contractor who owns and manages Carmel Landscape Company. In May 2017, the Contractor State License Board investigated a landscaping project at a Carmel residence involving multiple workers. The investigator determined that workers were present on the site and identified Mr. Smith as their employer. But Smith had previously told the Contractor State License Board that he did not have employees and was therefore exempt from workers' compensation requirements. The investigation was referred to the Monterey County District Attorney's Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit for criminal charges, and the district attorney filed those charges. After his guilty plea, Smith was ordered to return to court on September 28 for sentencing. He faces a maximum possible sentence of one year in county jail and a $50,000 fine. And in regulatory news, the WCIRB estimated California workers' compensation costs for 2017 based on insured employer experience. According to its report, total insurer combined losses and expenses occurred in 2017 were $16.2 billion, or 91% of the calendar year premium compared to $16.9 billion, or 94% of calendar year premium in 2016. That means the combined loss went from 94% down to 91%. Good news. California year 2017 earned premium totaled $17.7 billion as compared to $18 billion the prior year. Medical losses paid in 2017 were $4.7 billion, or 56% of the total loss payments. Of these payments, $1.3 billion were paid for physician services, $1.3 billion were payments made directly to injured workers, $0.7 billion were paid for inpatient or outpatient services, and $0.2 billion were paid for pharmaceuticals and $0.3 billion were paid for medical legal evaluations. 
the total medical cost containment programs in 2017 was $443 million compared to $468 million the year before. So medical cost containment costs went down. Indemnity benefits paid in 2017 were $3.7 billion, or 44% of the total loss payments. Of this amount, temporary disability benefits paid totaled $1.8 million, and permanent partial disability benefits paid totaled $1.5 billion. Medical legal cost data for 2017 shows that orthopedic evaluations accounted for about 55% of the cost of all medical legal evaluations. The average cost of a medical legal evaluation was $1,496, and psychiatric evaluations were the most expensive, averaging $3,268. And now the WCIRB is considering the use of blockchain technology. At the 2018 NCCI Annual Issues Symposium, presenters discussed a new technology concept for workers' compensation, how blockchain can impact the insurance industry. So what exactly is blockchain? Well, blockchain is a digital data structure for tracking information across a network of computers. In insurance, we're talking about the information chain between the risk, or policyholder, to the insurer, to the reinsurer, and then to the capital markets. A blockchain is a continuously growing list of records called blocks, which are linked and secured using cryptography. Each block typically contains a cryptographic hash of the previous block, a timestamp, and transactional data. By design, a blockchain is resistant to modification of the data. It is an open, distributed ledger that can record transactions between two parties efficiently and in a verifiable and permanent way. Blockchain was invented by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 to serve as the public transaction ledger of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. The Bitcoin design has inspired other applications. Its true killer applications are likely to be in some of the most antiquated fields out there, and it has the capability to be a transformative force for industries like insurance, which requires the coordination and cooperation of many different intermediaries with different incentives. And now technology leaders such as IBM boast of blockchain implementations for the insurance industry. IBM, for example, claims that blockchain is radically transforming insurance operations with faster, verifiable data exchanges, visibility for all parties, and transactions underpinned with pervasive security and trust. And insurance experts seem to agree. And now the WCIRB is looking into using blockchain technology as a better, safer way to get the workers' comp carriers and agents and brokers access to the massive amount of data the WCIRB collects. And the organization is not stopping there. It is also funding efforts to look into using behavioral science, machine learning, and other digital and technological innovations under an ongoing modernization effort. 
California-based janitorial workers are entitled to certain unique rights under California law. Specifically, there are two important acts designed to protect these workers. One, the Displaced Janitors Opportunity Act, and a second one, the Property Service Workers Protection Act. Commencing January 2017, janitorial employers are required to, under the second act to keep accurate records of specific information about the janitors they employ as required by this law for three years. Covered janitorial employers must also register with the California Labor Commissioner. The registration fee is $500 and must occur no later than July 1 this year. The Labor Commissioner's Office has launched an online registration system for janitorial service providers and contractors operating in California to register annually as required by law. The Labor Commissioner's Office urges janitorial employers to quickly register. Those who fail to register by October 1, 2018 may be subject to a civil fine as well as any person or entity who contracts with a janitorial employer lacking valid registration. The Labor Commissioner's Office has posted a registration search tool that shows whether employers and contractors are properly registered, as well as FAQs about the new law. The Division of Workers' Compensation announced that the 2019 minimum and maximum temporary total disability rates will increase again this coming January. The minimum TD, TTD rate will increase from $182.29 to $187.71, and the maximum TTD rate will increase from $1,215.27 a week to $1,251.38 per week. The Labor Code requires the TTD rate to be increased by an amount equal to the percentage increase in the state average weekly wage as compared to the prior year. The SAWW is defined as the average weekly wage paid to employers covered by unemployment insurance as reported by the U.S. Department of Labor for California for the 12 months ending March 31 and the year preceding the injury. The SAWW increased 2.971% this last comparison year. Workers with a date of injury after January 1, 2003 who are receiving life pension or Permanent total disability benefits are also entitled to have their weekly rate adjusted based on the new SAWW increase. And in medical news, a robotic doctor has artificial intelligence sufficient to pass the medical license exam in China. And in one eastern Chinese city, an ambulance speeds through traffic on a wave of green lights helped along also by artificial intelligence systems and big data. The system, which involves sending information to a centralized computer linked to the city's transport networks, is part of a trial by Alibaba Group Holdings Limited in China. The Chinese tech giant is hoping to use its cloud and data systems to tackle issues hobbling China's healthcare system like snarled city traffic, long patient queues, and a lack of doctors. 
Alibaba's push into healthcare reflects a wider trend in China, where technology firms are racing to shake up a creaking state-run health sector and take a slice of spending that will hit $1 trillion by 2020. Tencent, backed We Doctor, offers online consultations and doctor appointments. It has a valuation of $5.5 billion. Ping On Good Doctor is a similar platform backed by Ping On Insurance, and it raised $1.1 billion in an IPO this year. Alibaba is working with a hospital in Shanghai, using data to predict patient demand and allocate doctors. In Zhangjiang province, the company is working on an AI-assisted diagnosis tool to help analyze medical images such as CT scans and MRIs. Chinese hospitals are increasingly using technology to bridge the gap between urban centers and remote parts of the country where doctors are in short supply. Using document sharing systems and live streaming video, specialists can direct more junior medical staff on-site doing patient diagnoses. And DXY, one of China's biggest online networks of doctors, offers consultations on the WeChat social media platform for patients with chronic diseases such as diabetes. China's healthcare system has long grappled with this shortage of doctors, exacerbated by low wages and a dearth of local clinics and general practitioners. So Beijing has enacted legislation over the last two years that has included strong support for internet-based basic health care services. And Beijing may be about to approve the sale of some prescription drugs online, creating a major opportunity for local and global firms. In the United States, technology firms like Amazon, Google, and Apple have made pushes into healthcare with mixed results. Often, they are finding sprawling medical markets tougher to crack than entertainment or media. And one hospital in Beijing competed in a doctor versus machine standoff this month to detect neurological disorders, including brain tumors. A robot developed by the prestigious Tsinghua University has also taken and passed China's medical exam for doctors. A survey conducted among the tech workers in America, including many employees of Silicon Valley's elite tech companies, has revealed that over 57% of respondents are suffering from job burnout. The survey was carried out by the team at Blind, an anonymous app used by the employees of many top tech firms such as Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Uber, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Over 11,000 employees at the top tech companies responded to the survey. The blind team asked anonymously if the users currently suffered from workplace burnout. And according to blind, more than 57% said yes, that they are indeed currently suffering from occupational burnout. The company with the highest employee burnout rate was Credit Karma, with a whopping 71% of its employees reporting burnout, followed by Twitch with 69%, NVIDIA at 65%, and Expedia also at 65%. 
On the other end of the spectrum, Netflix ranked with the lowest burnout rate of only 39%, followed by PayPal at 42%, Twitter at 44%, Facebook at 49%, and Uber at 50% burnout rate. Netflix was mostly described as a desirable place to work, with high compensation, balanced hours, and supportive co-workers, conditions that reduce the risk of burnout. The blind team concluded that if these companies ignored this survey, the presence of work burnout could lead to health issues among its employees, such as insomnia, depression, substance abuse, and coronary heart disease. This could incur additional healthcare-related expenses, workers' compensation claims, and diminish the workforce's productivity. Furthermore, burnout cannot be ignored by HR departments and is often a first sign that employees might soon decide on another career path and leave the company. A 2017 study revealed that 46% of HR departments blamed work burnout as responsible for up to half of their annual workforce turnover. The FDA approved GW Pharmaceuticals' epilepsy treatment, making it the first cannabis-based drug to win approval in the country, and this opens the floodgates for more research into the medical properties of cannabis. The drug's approval permits its use in patients aged two years and older with Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which are rare childhood-onset forms of epilepsy that are among the most resistant to treatment. The drug, Epidiolex, is made up of cannabinol, one of the hundreds of molecules found in the marijuana plant, and contains less than 0.1% of the psychoactive component that makes people high. GW Pharma grows its own supply of cannabis in specialized glass houses in the United Kingdom, to ensure uniformity in the genetic composition of the plants. While supporters of legalizing marijuana say the decision is a step in the right direction, business reliant on the plant must contend with the federal government's ban on its use. Based on the potential for abuse, the DEA categorizes chemicals into five schedules, with Schedule I substances like marijuana and heroin considered the most deadly and deemed to have no medical benefits. As a result, the drug launch remains at the discretion of the DEA, which must now evaluate the drug and consider reclassifying it as a substance that has medical properties which would allow GW to begin selling it. GW said it expects the reclassification to occur within 90 days. The company has not yet set a price for the drug and said it would work with insurance providers to ensure the medicine would be covered under health plans. And with that story, that is, all of our news and events for this week, please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. 
Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Skarin, Manukian, Langamit. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.